dear Lord, I praise you so much for this day. I thank you for getting us safely, Lord, and I thank you for everyone that you have brought here. And Lord, I just ask that you inspire them and that you encourage them. And uh, Lord, that you fill them with what they need to be filled with. Because Lord, we, we long to be filled with you and we long to be filled with the knowledge that you long to instill in us. We give you this time. Lord, may your spirit be here in your name. Amen. So today, what I'm talking about is how to get your kids just to fall in love with nature and, and fall in love with the Lord. Because I think in the world that we live in, it doesn't matter what circle I've run, but everybody is on these. No matter if I'm around homeschooling people or if I'm around conference people or self-supporting people, Christians, non-Christians, they're just, everyone's on these. And for the longest time, I said I was never going to get one of these. In fact, I just got one a year ago. And I fought it really hard because I said I refuse. And it was so cool because people would see me with my dumb phone and they'd be like, why do you have one of those? And I was like, let me tell you. And I could have this awesome witnessing conversation because I was in airports or trains or traveling and they'd never see me with one of these. But then after I became a girl's dean, I was like, man, I need to figure out how to link my children with their parents. So I would take pictures of my children and then send it to their parents like, oh, that's what your child did today. That way when they call home, Parents have something to say, oh, I heard you did this, compared to, what did you do at school? I don't know. What's going on? I don't know. Because, you know, it's a boring academy. How do they connect with their parents? So that's why I finally, and let me tell you, abstinence does not teach you self-control. I thought I'd be so good. I had these, like, rules, like, will not show smartphone in public. Will hide it in my purse at all times. Like, I had these, like, list of crazy rules about how I was going to be, like, really different with my smartphone. I'm just like everybody else, much to my great dismay. All right, so for this first session, um, many of us hear that nature is really good for us. Many of us have heard, you know, in Ellen writes and biblical writings that it's really good, but I don't know if you know, but there's also a lot of science out there. So before I talk about a lot of ideas, I want to back you up. So when you have conversations, you're not just saying, yeah, I know it's good. No, you know it's good. That's why I start out with this. So there's, um, if you're into reading, Richard Louvre. Um, wrote these two books. I don't know if you ever heard of them, but it's called The Nature Principle and The Last Child in the Woods. They're incredible. Um, they cover lots of spectrums. They don't just cover education. They cover the business world, um, the importance of how business people need time in nature. They cover the medical world, how um, people who look at na nature scenes heal quicker, heal faster, um, when they look at something na more nature-based than if they just look at a brick wall. Um, so these books are really awesome, really inspiring. I've got a lot of my information from um, his research. Um, and then he also wrote um, a new one called Vitamin N, and that it just has ideas, tons of ideas to, to figure out how to take your students um, and your children outside. So um, excellent author. But he um, describes the human cost of alienation from nature among them, diminished use of the senses, attention difficulties, and higher rates of physical and emotional illnesses. And are you seeing those at a raise, at a rise? Yes. This disorder can be detected in individuals, families, and communities. Um, and he uh, calls this the nature deficit disorder. Okay? It's a, they're calling it a disorder now. So what is the way to counteract this? Well, vitamin N. So you can start asking your kids, you know, have you had your vitamin C? Have you had your vitamin N today? Have you had nature today? Um, by weighing the consequences of the disorder, you, we can also become more aware of how blessed our children can be biologically, cognitively, and spiritually through um, positive physical connection with nature. Um, so I really want to focus on the fact that, you know, a lot of times you hear, oh, this is what's happening. Our children have such a more difficult um, time to be raised in, and it's really discouraging and overwhelming the different things that our kids have to combat. 
But what I want you to see is how much rewards there are. And like wherever Satan creates a counteract, the Lord creates something to help you to get through that, right? And so whatever your kids are facing, nature can give you many answers through God's creation. That's what's so incredible. Um, so in 1997 to 2003 is really when there was a big decline of 50% in the proportion of children 9 to 12 who spent time outside in activities such as hiking, walking, fishing, beach play, and gardening. So we really started to move from a more like an agrarian society to definitely in our houses. I mean, if you think about it these days, how can parents come up with actual chores for their kids to do if they live on this little half acre plot? You know, like what can you come up with for your kids to do? And so it's very difficult for many parents and in many areas to be able to be like, yeah, let me have my children have nature time or help, let me help them have chore time or help, let me help them get off this. Well, there's really nothing to do. Like, let's be honest, if you live in this tiny little area, what can they do but get on these things? Um, so the, the study showed that children's free play and discretionary time in a typical week declined a total of nine hours over a 25 year period. So this is what our kids around the world, not around the world, but definitely in America are facing. So there's this really awesome term that I love, it's called containerized kids. If you think about it, our kids spend more time controlled than ever before, right? Watch, watch in airports or watch walking around in a park. Kids are in a stroller. Kids have those little things tied around their waist and the parents have the little leash, right? And I'm not knocking any of it, it's just they're containerized. They're just, they're not free playing. Baby seats now have TVs. Back of cars now have TVs. There's even um, baby play mats that they look up and you can put the iPod there. I mean, it's just everywhere. It's like, let me not have to figure out how to entertain my child. Let me just let this entertain my child, right? Um, so this is what's, what's crazy. They did a study on toddlers and they show that they're physically active for about 20 minutes a day. So, I mean, that, that, that was in Scotland, by the way. They, they put west, uh, wristbands on 78 uh, toddlers and they found out that these toddlers were 20 minutes active a day. That's really scary and really sad. Um, and as you can see, there's a problem because, you know, we're just, we're just like, kids are high maintenance. Let's just put them in a stroller and have them, you know, see the world that way. And not even, like, the strollers now, they come over and there's the iPad thing right there. It's not even like, you know, in a stroller, you used to watch the world around you. And the child would be excited just to observe and watch. No, let's put something down there to entertain them. Um, you know, there's this funny thing called looking out your window. Right? And there's going to be a time, I'm afraid, where your child's going to ask, so mom, what did you do when you're in the car? I looked out the window. Well, you did what? Looked out your window? No, because um, we can just buy backseat television monitors. Um, why do so many people no longer consider the physical world worth watching? That's something interesting. The highway's edges may not be postcard perfect, Children's early understanding of how cities and nature fit together was gained from the back seat. The empty farmhouse at the edge of the subdivision, the variety of architecture here and there, the woods and fields and water beyond the seamy edges, all that was in, is still available to the eye. This was the landscape that we watched as children. It was our drive-by movie. There is a real world beyond the glass for children who look, for those whose parents encourage them to truly see. Um, so why? Why is this nature not being pushed? Because there's no commercial incentive. Who gains by your child watching out the window? You know, not some businessman is going to make big money. Um, and so, sadly, our children are a great way for people to make money, right? All across the board. And so, there's not a lot of 
push out there to get your children connected with nature because there is no huge financial commercial incentive to be gained from it. Um, also, like the unstructured play, I'll talk about that later, but unstructured play is crucial to your child's development. It's just letting them play and explore is absolute crucial. Um, I just think it should be a complete wake-up call to every parent, educator, policymaker, business person, and tech industry person that the reshaping of our media tech landscape is first and foremost affecting young people's lives and reshaping childhood and adolescence. Um, I really like this quote. Um, Quality of life isn't measured only by what we gain, but also what we trade for it. Quality of life isn't measured only by what we gain, but also what we trade for it. Uh, all right, teen media usage. On any given day, teens in the United States spend about nine hours using media for their enjoyment. Uh, tweens identify as children 8 to 12 spend about six hours on average consuming media. The report found I think that the sheer volume of media technology that kids are exposed to on a daily basis is mind-boggling. It shows you that these kids live in the massive 24-7 digital media technology world, and it's shaping every aspect of their life. They spend far more time with media technology than any other thing in their life. This is the dominant intermediary in their life. <coughs> the report, the first large-scale study to explore tweens and teens' use of the full range of media according to the Common Sense Media, um, is based on more than 2,600 teenagers ages 8 to 18. So what's happening is our schools, and it's a big push. Um, I don't care if you go to like a public school or a Christian school, it's a big push to use technology. You feel a lot of pressure as a teacher to use technology, and if your kids, you know, if you don't have that Apple computer and that smart board in your classroom and you're not using it, you're not a very successful teacher. There's, there's, there's just a lot of push. Even at the NAD Teachers Convention, I was there this year in Chicago speaking about this, and one of the biggest sessions where there was like 300 plus, they used the big auditorium, was how to use technology. And it's just, it's a big push that we should always be using technology. I don't know if you guys as homeschooling parents get that, that pressure too, to make sure that you guys have iPods or iPads or tablets in your kids' hands. Um, but stay strong. <laughs> stay strong. They will figure out how to use this without your help, let me tell you. I've watched toddlers. I've watched babies have no problem, you know, figuring out how to move and get the screen small and big, and old people are still trying to figure out, you know, little kids get it like this, they'll be fine. You're not cheating them at all. Um, adult media usage, another thing that we have to recognize, which I am really recognizing as a teacher, is monkey see, monkey do, right? So if my kids see me on this, then of course they're going to want to be on it, right? I have to practice what I preach. And so honestly, it might sound crazy, but if you haven't made rules for yourself about when you pull this out, it's worth taking that time to sit down. Before you start being like, I'm going to be really big into nature, you have to realize that you are fighting against this, okay? And so um, I've started making the rule that like, I just don't have this when I'm teaching in my classes. And I know that sometimes faculty need to get a hold of me. Well, I'm teaching a class, I can't help them at that moment anyways. So I, I hide my, my phone from now on whenever I'm teaching a class. Um, and I don't take it into the cafeteria. Yeah, that means maybe I was supposed to meet a meeting and I missed it or somebody needed me, but it's important to start making rules for how often your child is gonna see you pull this out. Because whatever your child sees you doing, they're gonna do a little bit more, right? You know, like whatever they model after, they're gonna push a little bit more. My mom did this, so I'm gonna do this, you know? and so. Um, start thinking about this because adults are using media just as much. The average American spends nearly half a day staring at a screen. 
And if you look at the jobs these days, of course they do. I mean, everything's on a computer screen. That's, that's finances, that's business, you know, it's all on the computer screen. A new Nielsen Company audience report reveals that adults in the United States devoted about 10 hours and 39 minutes each day to consuming media during the first quarter of this year. The report, which was released Monday, included how much time was spent daily using our tablets, smartphones, personal computers, multimedia devices, video games, radios, DVDs, DVRs, and TVs. So if, there, if you're spending 10 hours and 39 minutes, what else is your day? I mean, where are you eating in front of the TV? You know, and just be honest with yourself and ask yourself how much time are you spending on this or on a computer or on a TV in your own house. Uh, the report included that one out of 168 hours in a week, we spend more than 50 with devices. The work week, which still takes up 40 of those hours, sleep at seven hours a night is 49, and if we assume all personal care, such as eating, bathing, dressing, and preparing food is three hours a day, then we have 58 hours a week left over for all other things. This includes hobbies, sports, spending time with children, spending time with friends and romantic partners, reading, learning, exercise, participating in a faith community, volunteer work, house maintenance. If people are spending over 50 hours a week with media for entertainment purpose, then there's really no time left for any of the other things that we value. So it's really, really quite scary. So I encourage you, I don't know where you stand, and I'm not throwing judgment, but don't use this for your Bible, because your kids don't know you're on your Bible. They need to see you in your word. They need to see that you're, you know how to flip through the pages. They, need to, they, they will model everything you do. You know, make a, a goal. You don't bring this into church, period. You leave it in the car. You know, if you really need it, what would be even more awesome is you just leave the phone at home for church. When you leave for church, you leave the phone. I mean, is it so bad that we can't get a hold of each other right away? I mean, 20, 20 years ago, we lived fine without needing that instant response, you know? Um, it doesn't mean someone's hurt or something's wrong just because someone doesn't answer it right away, you know? And so I honestly, like, implore you to take time today to make a list of how, what are the things you're going to do? You know, when you're in meetings, are you going to have your phone? And when you're in, you know, whatever parameters you need to set, set them. Um, and I made a New Year's resolution that I'm going to make sure I do that. I love New Year's resolutions. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so I just realized something that's really interesting to me is the fact that Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, they will not let their kids go to a tech-based school at all. That should be our major red flag. If these guys, their kids do not go to a school that even uses technology. So there's something called brain patterning, patterning, where you train yourself because of experiences. That's what you pay attention to in the world. So what's really sweet is the place that I'm staying. They have a, two little boys. And whatever the cell phone goes ding or it rings, they instantly grab it and they bring it. Like, because they're being helpful and sweet. Like, here, mommy. And here, auntie. Hey, I got this for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But, you know, are they, are they brain patterned and trained where they hear the birds sing? Where they notice, like, there's, there's no frogs chirping. You know, like, are they noticing those things? Or are we not putting them in an environment where they can even notice that there's an absence of them? Or that they are there? You know, they're very trained to hear this go off because they're used to it, you know? The person who invented the like button on Facebook says that he forever changed the map of society, and he regrets it. He wishes he's never had done that because the expectations that come out of the like button cannot be met face-to-face. -face. It's a completely different dichotomy, and they can't figure out how to make the two worlds fit. And so he says that's one thing that has done un undone society is the like button on Facebook. But I just think it's very interesting that Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, I would like to know what their rules are in their own home. 
if they won't let them go to a, a tech school, I wonder what their rules are on in their own home base, you know? Um, the system of education instituted at the beginning of the world was to be a model for man throughout all after time. An illustration of its principles, a model school was established in Eden, the home of our first parents. The Garden of Eden was the schoolroom, nature was the lesson book, the creator himself was the instructor, and the parents of the human family were the students. That's what's so incredible when you take your kids out in nature, God is the instructor, God is the teacher, you know? Not not the publishing houses. All right, so you get the point. I can go on and on, but this is not a seminar about the dangers of technology. Just please, you and me both, let's hold ourselves accountable and let's make that list of how we're going to use this, how we're going to monitor it. Because I don't know about you, but like, I'm like, check, I don't watch TV. I'm doing pretty good. Check, I don't even own a TV. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, check, I have YouTube. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what your weaknesses are, but it's worth, honestly, self-reflecting. Um, for our family's sake. All right, so here we go. This is the exciting part, really exciting. Five reasons why we need to make a strong connection with our children and nature. Academically, physical health, emotional well-being, creativity, and spiritually. All right, so here is some positive things to encourage us now that we're depressed about our society and the direction that it's going. Realize that there's hope. And what's really awesome and kind of sad to me is the fact that we are actually, as a church, behind the times, and the world is recognizing there's a problem. The world is on the forefront of, like, there's something's got to change. Forest schools are developing around the world. Um, nature um, pushes are becoming stronger and stronger. When I Googled curriculum, I found a plethora of things, and it's not from our church. Even though we had the council from education how to do it right 100-plus years ago, for some reason, we're the ones behind the times. And so, as it, it's kind of sad, it's exciting to me too, because the fact that we don't have to just completely reinvent the wheel and be the crazy ones. We can actually be an attractor to other students simply because parents are like, yeah, I, I want to go to a no-tech school. That's important to me to send. So, hey, what about that Adventist school down the road? I hear they have a garden program. I hear they have their kids outside. Do you see the outdoor classroom? That's really cool. Let's stop by. You know, it's not like we're the crazy ones. It's like, no, this is what our kids need. People who are listening, the question was, how can we help our schools um, and our churches change direction away from this technology world to a more God-centered nature world? And I think it starts with us and how we model our lives and how we are a light and they see something different about our children and they see something different about our own lives. And I do have a couple of ideas um, to take back to our churches because I think that's crucial. And I hope that as a family, for me, I really have realized that it takes three things to raise a strong child, a, a loving home and a, a school um, for those who are in sending their kids to school, a strong school, but a church. A tr church is crucial. It really, truly, thank you, takes a village to raise a child. And I can tell you right now, it wasn't just my incredible loving parents' influence on me, but it was a, an incredibly loving church family. So I hope you have a loving church family because that does huge things for your child. Yes, you can tell your child that you love them, but when that change, stranger at church kneels down and says, how's your week going? Like, as a child, that was so huge to me. And I will always go back. My brother and I talk about the fact that no matter how we travel the world, Goebbels Church is my church. It is my family. And how blessed am I that I have that family. Um, so I will talk about some ideas to, to encourage our family at large to be on nature based too. All right, so academically, that's my sweet villa zone. 
Oh, I miss little ones. All right, ADHD. Nearly 8 million children in the U.S. suffer from mental disorders, and ADHD is one of the most prevalent ones. Develops before <coughs> excuse me, the age of 7, usually diagnosed between the ages of 8 to 10. What 8-year-old boy is not hyper? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Some of the uninformed public tends to believe that poor parenting and other social factors produce the immature behavior associated with ADHD, but ADHD is now considered by many researchers to be an organic disorder associated with differences and the brain morphology of children, which means what are you filling their brain with as they're developing? Did you know it is illegal in France to put your child in front of a screen before the age of two? Yeah, we should consider that too, you know? And maybe, honestly, maybe if we have little ones, maybe we should go to, to basic phones until they are two or something. I don't know. I know these sound like extreme ideas, but it's just worth considering options and possibilities. All right? Um, each hour of TV watched per day by preschoolers increases by 10% the likelihood that they will develop concentration problems and other symptoms of attention deficit disorders by age seven. Um, as recently as the 1950s, most families still had some kind of agricultural connection, but now your minority has agricultural connection. Uh, for some reason, you're getting my notes down there, so do not judge me on my um, grammar or <laughs> spelling or capitalization. I don't know why you're seeing my notes down there, but that's what that is. For some reason, you're getting um, my crazy notes down there to help me remember what else if I want to add. Um, so they're actually realizing that there is a direct correlation between TV watch and ADHD, but don't just limit that to TV because it would be any kind of screen time, okay? All right, so here we go. Now, um, there's this theory called attention restoration theory. Two kinds of attention. There's directed attention, and there is fascination, involuntary attention, all right? There was a nine-year study done with the U.S. Forest Service. Subjects report experience a sense of peace and ability to think more clearly when they're in a restorative environment, okay? So there's different programs out there, like Outward Bound. I don't know if you've heard of that. And during this time, um, subjects reported experiencing a sense of peace. They took them out for two weeks um, to just be in the wild. And they did, they said that just being in nature was more, they found that was more restorative than doing things like rock climbing or mountain biking, just being in nature. Like, isn't that incredible? Like, the Lord's like, I know this world is going to be hard. I know there are things the devil's going to throw at you. Just be still and know that I am God. Wait, you know, just simply putting your child out for 20 minutes, for 10 minutes, just, you know, like, go outside. Just go outside. Don't tell them what to do. Don't tell them how to play. Just say, go outside. And the, and there's, and the Lord's like, I will heal them. That's what's so incredible. You know, like, I know it's discouraging I, to be a parent. I'm not a parent. I will tell you that up front. So I don't know everything that it's like, so I do apologize. Um, I pray that someday I will get to be a parent someday. But I have been a parent to hundreds of other kids, other parents' kids. Um, and so I know that it's hard. I watch it in my schools, and I watch parents give their all and try really hard. But just start just putting them outside. Just put them outside. Um, so directed attention fatigue is when there's too much attention directed, marked by impulsive behavior, agitation, irritation, and inability to concentrate. 
Directed attention fatigue occurs between um, neural inhibitory mechanisms become fatigued by blocking competing stimuli. The fascination factor associated with nature is restorative and it helps relieve people from directed attention fatigue. So directed attention is when you're just looking at something, so like let's say a child at school is just looking at their books time and time again. That's directed attention. Directed attention is not bad. They need to know how to have directed attention, but this is where a cell phone is only directed attention. You, don't, you understand like the kind of the difference? You're not, there's no involuntarily like, ooh, fascination. It's just very much directed like, oh, green ball comes over, I hit this, and then I do this, right? When you're out in nature, there's just natural things around you like, oh, what's that? A bird. Oh, I hear this. Oh, I see this. Okay, so that's involuntary. And it's literally, there's having studies that show if that your child is extremely ADHD or extremely has difficulty with directed um, attention, by having them have involuntary attention, it makes them better at directed attention. So that's incredible, right? Um, they did a survey of more than 120,000 corporate and office state workers. Those with a window view, just having a view of it, not even being outside in it, of trees, bushes, or large lawns experiencing significantly less frustration and more work enthusiasm than those without such views. A person does not have to live in the wilderness to reap nature's psychological benefits, including the ability to work better and think more clearly. So simply just making sure maybe when you're doing homeschool that you have your, a window you know, that they can look out when they are so they could have some directed attention and then they could have some you know, involuntary attention. So maybe doing homeschool near a window will also just simply be helpful. I know it's scary. They'll look out the window the whole time and then they won't concentrate. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, spending time in nature can help people recover from normal psychological wear and tear, but nature also improves their capacity to pay attention. Participants were asked to complete a 40-minute sequence of tasks designed to exhaust their directed attention capacity. So after they had done that for 40 minutes, they were then randomly assigned to spend 40 minutes and these are the four choices that they had. Walking in a local nature preserve, walking in an urban area, sitting quietly while reading music, while reading magazines, or listening to music. I'm sure you know which one do you think had, was the most restorative. Yeah, walking in nature. Those who walked in nature preserve performed better than the other participants in a standard proof reading test. They also reported more positive emotions and less anger. So... Simply just taking your child for a walk um, will help their heal. I just love that because I don't know about you, but the world is tearing me down. I need some um, psychological and emotional repair right now in my life. And just simply by taking a walk out there, it's restorative. Um, survey of families of ADD children ages 7 to 12. Results as reported in the journal Environmental and Behavior compared to the after effects of pay, play sorry, in paved outdoor or indoor areas Activities and natural green settings were far more likely to leave ADD children better able to focus and concentrate. Activities that left ADD children in worse shape were far more likely to occur indoors or outdoors in space devoid of greenery. So, if it's true that nature therapy reduces the symptoms of ADHD, then the converse may also be true. ADHD may be set of symptoms aggravated by a lack of exposure to nature. So, when you have your child super hyper, or you know, you even see other children that are super hyper, maybe realize that we can work together as a community and offer nature walks here and there throughout the week. And we have play dates with other families, and it's a, it's a walk in nature, you know? Um, let's be a community to raise our children together and not just a solo trying to, to just benefit our children. Because a lot of people just don't know. I mean, in their defense, the world tells them 
that the child will be smarter, right? There's brain games on here. Your child will be able to perform better on those tests and all those things. There's so much pressure that you really can't fault anybody for, for using this. And not only that, but parenting is hard. <laughs> Okay, I've watched, I have, do have friends and parenting is exhausting and when you're just done and you feel like you're going to yell at your child, it seems a lot better to give them this than yell at your child, right? And so just understand that people just are looking for ways out and this is an easy tool that people didn't have years ago. And now, you know, it's, how did parenting ever happen without this, you know? Like how did they do it when they were frustrated and exhausted they just needed mommy time or space, you know? Your mother's... <laughs> Yeah, your mother sent you outdoors, but you probably had a place to play. What about those dear, precious parents that are doing their best and they don't have a place? You have an apartment. Yeah, it's difficult. And, and like Rent in Oregon, my friends here, they, they're looking at houses and they're 300,000, 400,000. I mean, it is really difficult in certain areas to have a green space for your child to play. And it's dangerous. You can't just say, child, go out and play. That means you have to go out and play. So then you really didn't get your time. And so for some people, they live in this vicious cycle. And I'm sorry, but not everybody can live in the country. That is not feasibly possible, nor is that God's calling for all of us to live in the country. And so it's important that we just realize that we need to work together and help each other. Maybe it is playdates with other apartment moms, you know, to help the mommy get time. And it's just, it's a journey. It's, it's not an easy, easy one. Yeah, plays with someone lives in the country. Or I keep telling my friends, just give me your kids for a week. We'll put them on the farm. <laughs> All right, physical health. All right, the Centers for Disease Control reports that the number of overweight adult Americans increased over 60% between 1991 and 2000. 60%. Okay, that's why that, that I picked those dates. That's the biggest jump is from 1991 to 2000. According to CDC data, the U.S. population of over, overweight children between ages 2 to five increased by almost 36% from 1989 to 1999. At that time, two out of 10 of America's children were clinically obese, four times the percentage of childhood obesity reported in the late 1960s. Approximately 60% of obese children ages five to 10 have at least one cardiovascular disease factor. It's really, really sad. The World Health Organization warns that the sedentary lifestyle is a global pub public health problem. Inactivity is seen as a major risk factor in non-communicable diseases, which cause 60% of global deaths and 47% of the burden of disease. Pediatricians now warn that today's children may be the first generation of Americans since World War II to die at an earlier age than their parents. Um, they're considering now, I don't know if you saw that article, it was years ago, um, well maybe it was in the Michigan memo, but they're calling sitting the new smoking. Like it's as devastating to your body as smoking is to your body to sit for all day long. But if you look at people's jobs, what choice do they have but to sit? Their job is to sit at a computer. You know, it's, it is really tough um, where we live in. The CDC found that the amount of TV that children watch directly correlates with the measure of their body fat. In the United States, children ages 6 to 11 spend about 30 hours a week looking at a TV or computer monitor. Something that's interesting is do sports save the day? Do you think sports save the day to help this epidemic? The obesity epidemic coincides with the greatest increase in organized children's sports in history. So at the same time as our obesity is going through the roof, our children's organized sports are going through the roof with organized. So clearly that's not helping. The physical exercise and emotional stretching that children enjoy in unorganized play is more varied and less time bound than is found in organized sports. 
Playtime, especially unstructured, imaginative, exploratory play is increasingly recognized as an essential component of a wholesome child development. The problem with sports is that you're just using certain muscles and only that muscle group. And compared to unimaginative play when you're swinging from trees or you're walking on uneven ground, you're using all sorts of different muscle groups compared to, think about it, the perfectly manicured lawn of a baseball field or a football field or a soccer field. Like, it's perfect. There is, you don't have to worry about like compensating for your ankle because there's nothing to compensate for, right? Compared to when it's on that uneven ground, you're trying, your body has to compensate for it. Yeah, I did gymnastics in high school and in college, and I still feel the pain. Like, I, my back gives me all sorts of issues because I threw some backflips wrong and landed on my knees instead of on my feet. And, I mean, it's just, there's lots of inju injuries related with sports. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm the first one, if there's a group of kids out there, to go join them in a soccer game. I love soccer, but there's something about just playing with a bunch of different ages that is so much more fun than necessarily just playing with your age group, you know, so I'm all for soccer and football and baseball. I wish, honestly, our churches would have those good old-fashioned Sunday picnics and we would play a good old-fashioned baseball. Wouldn't that be so fun with, like, the people cheering for each other and, like, that, that community that our churches are, are hungry for? Our churches are hungry for that community sense. If we wonder why we're losing our people and our numbers, it's because we've lost community in our churches. We check in and we check out. And there's not that community that we work together, we play together, we live together. You know, that's what makes a family strong, right? You don't just work together, you play together. So we as a church need to play together too, you know? Um, so that's one thing to help with your church. Be the one to organize a good old-fashioned Sunday um, family baseball game, you know, softball game, and get people out. Um, there's a study of preschool children in Norway and Sweden played on typically flat playgrounds and played among trees, rocks, and uneven ground of natural play areas. Over a year's time, the children who played in natural areas tested better for motor fitness, especially in balance and agility, which makes natural sense, right? Those kids who jump on logs, like I take my high schoolers out and I'm amazed. I'm like, they just jump on trees and they run around like monkeys and crazy hoodlums. I can tell instantly who are the ones who have spent time outdoors and who are the ones who have never because they're on the, on the tree like this. And, but they can throw that football. They can like, I mean, they can do that soccer. Like they have footwork like you've never seen, but you put them on a tree and they all of a sudden have no ability to walk, you know? It's true that when you just are out there playing, you do develop different muscle groups and ability that you just can't on a flat field. Um, I think this is really cool, something that you could even think what if we put aquariums in our churches? Oh, 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 I don't know, but you know, here we go. Research has shown that subjects experience significant decreases in blood pressure simply by watching fish in an aquarium. There's also a link between pet ownership and lowering of high blood pressure and improved survival after heart attacks. And the mortality rate of heart disease patients with pets was found to be one-third that of patients without pets. So um, there's lots of animals at a shelter that need to be adopted. Um, if you know of an elderly person, encourage them to get a pet because pets do all sorts of things. Um, I know as a single person, my pet is so important to me because it gets me out walking morning and night. It's someone to come home to. It's someone that loves me. You know, all those wonderful things. Um, many studies credit exposure to plants or nature with speeding up recovery time from injury. A 10-year study of gallbladder surgery patients comparing those who recovered in rooms facing a grove of trees to those in rooms with a view of a brick wall, the patients with a view of trees went home sooner. So just simply looking at it, simply just looking at it helps you. Research revealed Michigan prison inmates, I love this one, whose cells face a prison courtyard had a 24% more illnesses than those whose cells had a view of farmland. So even our prisoners deserve to look at green spaces. 
People who watch images of natural landscape after a stressful experience calm markedly in only five minutes. Their muscle tension, pulse, and skin conductance readings plummet. So maybe we should think about having our church boards and school, board, school boards meetings outside. You know, let's, let's try it. Like those tenseful, tense situations. Um, I, when I taught in Holland, Michigan, they had a gazebo. A, they had built a gazebo. You know, and we, I don't really remember, like, the church using it, except for, like, after church, sometimes families would have picnics before they maybe went on adventures together. But what if, like, we took church board out there? Now, it is Michigan, so I know it's limited when you can go. But, you know, like, what if we thought outside the box with different activities that we did, and we just started doing them outside? Uh, nature is God's physician. The pure air, the glad sunshine, the flowers and trees, the orchards and vineyards, and outdoor exercise amid these surroundings are health-giving, life-giving. Physicians and nurses should encourage their patients to be much in the open air. Outdoor life is the only remedy that many invalids need. It has a wonderful power to heal diseases caused by the excitements and excesses of fashionable life, a life that weakens and destroys the powers of body, mind, and soul. Yes, the American rat race, does that destroy the body, mind, and soul? Does that exhaust you? Um, what's so incredible to me is, like, God just knows you know, like in every age, God knows what that age needs to connect with him. And at our age, what we desperately need is just some green time. It's just some time in nature. Um, he's loving being outside. Don't, don't get that little face confused. He actually is having a great time. <laughs> okay, the results of a sedentary lifestyle is simple. Kids get depressed. The need for medications is intensified by children's disconnection from nature. The rate at which American children are prescribed antidepressants almost doubled in five years. The steepest increase, 66% were among preschool children. They're now describing them antidepressants. Do you realize the other after effects that come because you describe your child antidepressants? It's scary. But our children are depressed because, because the, the world limits them. Right? This says you only can do only this. There's no place to dream. When you're outside, all of a sudden, you know, sticks become, I don't know, forks. That's not that creative all of a sudden. But you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, like, when you go outside, that green space, you're on the planet Mars. You're biking and you're in Venus. Like, right? You know, like, all of a sudden, who knows where you're going outside? You're on this, you know, I used to play pretend when I was swinging. I was going to planet after planet. Woohoo, I just swinged to Mars. Okay, next swing. Now I'm going to Jupiter. Like, I just used to pretend I was going to planets. I don't know why, but that's what I pretended. You know, but when I'm inside, I can't pretend. I'm just like, okay, green one makes a green dot. Green three, red now, red four. I don't know what games your kids play. I don't really know games. Nature is a healing balm. There is over 100 studies that confirm that one of the main benefits of spending time in nature is stress reduction. Nature experiences can relieve some of the everyday pressures that may lead to childhood depression. Nature offers nurturing solitude. Um, they did a, they did a, a study um, on 1,850 participants and they tried the use of green exercise. There was three broad health out outcomes. Improved psychological well-being, by enhancing mood and self-esteem while reducing feelings of anger, confusion, depression, and tension, generation of physical health benefits by reducing blood pressure and burning calories, and building of social networks. Do you know that is what our, our country is really in trouble for? And in fact, even in like, okay, in Japan, I don't know if you know this, but you can now go to like a cafe and you can rent a, a, a dummy, a doll, and have a conversation at this cafe with this dummy because um, that in Japan, it's usually like a one-child home, and so there's not a lot of social connection. There's a lot of push for being top-rate with technology, 
um, over there. And so now you can sit and you can have time with this dummy and they can talk and unload their stress to this dummy. Okay? Like our world is craving connection. Our church is craving connection. We are craving connection. And this is not giving us connection. Yes, I'm texting you and you're texting me. Yes, I'm liking you on Instagram or, or hearting you or whatever you do or liking you on Facebook. But I'm not really connecting with you. Well, you know, it's, it's a hard world to live in, though, because as teachers, you always get told the law, the law, don't, put your, don't hold the child, don't put them on your lap, be careful how you put it around. I was like, Lord, if I end up in jail because I'm putting my kindergarten boy on my lap because he's crying because he scraped his knee, okay, Lord, that's the way I'll go to jail. <laughs> like, there's no way I'm going to resist not loving on my kindergarten first and second graders. I'm just, there's not. In my high school kids, I touch them. I, I pat their shoulder. I say, good job when I walk by their desk. You know, I just, I mean, we are, we are, we are so afraid of that suing that we will not touch each other. We're, we're becoming a touchless society. And, I, and when you think about end time events, you're like, how could people turn on people? Well, if you never have an emotional connection and you're just a figure on a TV, it's not hard to not care about you. But as soon as like, I just touch you and we start talking, all of a sudden, you're not just a face. You're someone like, I don't want something to happen to them. But the more and more our kids become less touching, then I think the less and less they're going to care about each other. And that's what's so incredible that... Um, um, this nature program points out is that by caring about God's nature, you care about God's creation, you care about God's people. Like it all goes together. It all goes together. When you start caring about, and this is something else I'm going to talk a little bit about later on, but the only thing that kind of bothers me is how come our churches aren't on the lead end of like green living and preserving our earth. I know we believe that God is coming soon and praise the Lord and that is where our money and time should go, but we should be the ones in those circles that, you know those Adventist churches, you should see the way they recycle. You should see how they take care of their, their environment. You know, because I'm sorry, but in Genesis, when you read that, God gave us one assignment right off the bat. Yeah, take care of this earth. Here's my present. And when I used to teach my kids on Friday, I'd be like, God gave us a present. God, guys, God gave us the present of the earth. How are we going to enjoy this present? How are we going to unwrap it this Sabbath? How are we going to experience it this Sabbath? Because God gave us a present. And that's how I'd always present the Sabbath. Like, let's enjoy the present he gave us. It's a gift. And how are we, how are we enjoying it? How much nature is enough to make a difference in mental health? This is crazy. Um, <coughs> for the first time in scientific literature, we have been able to show dose-response relationships for the positive effects of nature on human mental health. Mood and self-esteem improved after a five-minute dose. It doesn't take a lot. Okay, so if you are just making little goals, you know, for those of you who don't live in the area, five minutes. Start small. Five minutes. Ten minutes. Fifteen minutes. You know, work your way up. Blue-green exercise is even better, which simply means, like, if you can hike next to a lake, a pond, or a river, it's actually, that's proven that that's better than just in a green space. But if you don't have that, don't worry. But that's what, when they say blue-green, that's what they mean. Um, the study found that a walk in a natural area adjacent to the water offered people the most improvement. So if you happen to have the blessing of being near some kind of water, even if it's gross looking, it is better than just the green. All right. Um, I kind of already touched about this, about the touching and how important that is. <coughs> time in nature is not leisure time. It's an essential investment in our health and our students' health and our children's health and our church's health and our family's health. Okay, so maybe start calling it something different. Maybe start calling it vitamin N. I don't know. Um, 
God has surrounded us with nature's beautiful scenery to attract and interest the mind. It is his design that we should associate the glories of nature with his character. If we faithfully study the book of nature, we shall find it a fruitful source for contemplating the infinite love and power of God. The great teacher brought his hearers in contact with nature, that they might listen to the voice which speaks in all created things. And as their hearts become tender and their minds receptive, he helped them to interpret the spiritual teaching of the scenes upon which their eyes rested. In his lessons, there was something to interest every mind, to appeal to every heart. Thus, the daily task, instead of being a mere round of toil, benefit of higher thoughts, was brightened and uplifted by constant reminders of the spiritual and unseen. I don't know about you, but that just gets me excited. It gets me so excited, like that there's so much that God is going to speak to me. And I'm going to show you in the last session how this has really become alive in my life. Um, We're literally now, like I can't even tell you, but if I can go outside, there's just promises that come to my mind because the Lord has taught me how to associate nature with his word. And I just can't help it. There are songs that come to my heart. There are uh, just instant Bible promises because the Lord has taught me how to see him in nature. And it's not just one of those things, because I used to think, oh yeah, God is in nature. That's just because it's big and complex. No, like there are deep lessons when we study, and it's incredible, absolutely incredible. So I don't want to jump ahead. All right, creativity. This one, okay, this is crazy. John Muir describes revealing in the wonderful wilderness around his boyhood home in Wisconsin. Samuel Langhorne Clements held down an adult job at age 14, but when his working day ended at three, he headed down to the river to swim or fish or navigate a borrowed boat. This is where he became Mark Twain. Eleanor Roosevelt said, there was nothing that gave me greater joy than get one of my young aunts to agree that she would get up before dawn, that we would walk down through the woods to the river, row ourselves the five miles to the village in Tivoli to get the mail and row back before the family was at the breakfast table. Okay, all people that um, we admire and um, uh, think are great creators and great innovators, they all had a connection with nature in their background. All right. I love this one. Ben Franklin lived a block from Boston Harbor. Living near water, I was much in about it. At age nine, he was flying a kite from the bank of Mill Pond, holding area for water from high tide. It was so warm, he wanted to go for a swim, reluctant to leave the water, but wanted to fly his kite. Uh, pondered his dilemma until it occurred to them that he did not forgo one diversion for the other. Climbing out of the pond, Ben untied the kite and returned to the cool water. As the buoyancy of the water diminished gravity's hold on his feet, he felt the kite tugging him forward. He surrendered to the wind's power, lying on his back and letting the kite pull him clear across the pond without the least fatigue and with the greatest pleasure imaginable. (laughs) Sounds like fun, right? All right, so as you know, Ben Franklin is incredible. Um, a brilliant man, you know, but he started as a little boy. As he just started playing and experimenting, he's like, wait, this is how gravity works, da-da-da-da. And he's the one who later flies a kite with a key. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but as you can see, um, the word education comes from Greek to draw out or to bring forth. That's the word education, to draw out or to bring forth. Okay, that's not download, <laughs> as we think education, right? They need to get all this stuff, download them into their heads. It's the, to draw out, which means that you're drawing on what they know and their creativity and expounding on it. That is education. Um, direct experience is crucial to learning. All right, the next one of my favorite ones is Thomas Edison. He was wandering one day while visiting his sister's farm. He found straw in a box. He, found, he was found sitting in a box of straw. I saw baby chickens come out of eggs the old hen was sitting on, so I thought I could make the little gooses come out of the goose eggs if I sat on them. If the hens and geese can do it, why can't I? It's all right, Al. 
if no one ever tried anything, even what some folks say is impossible, no one would ever learn anything. So you just keep on trying, and maybe someday you'll try something that will work. What did Thomas Edison invent? The light bulb. And how many things, remember after he thought, um, he's tried a thousand times, and they're like, aren't you going to give up? And he's like, no, I found a thousand things that won't work. That's how he looked at it. But maybe it started from a childhood of trying and failing. Trying and failing. We need to give that possibility to our kids. Could, he wasn't told he couldn't. And he, and it wasn't just that he was told what he could or couldn't do, it's he just tried it. And he himself realized he could or he couldn't, right? All our great leaders had some connection with nature. But listen to this now. Contemporary urban artists, poets have moved away from Wordsworth and the Romantics, whose metaphors were shaped by sublime natural forces, whose rhythms were so often set by the cycles of nature, to now the newer language of arts emanates from the human-built environment, from the street, from computers. So we wonder why our music and movies are sounding different, like, oh, Satan's more involved. No, we're getting inspired by man-made things instead of God-made things. Like, that to me is like, after I realized that, I was like, wow, what am I being inspired by? That's, that was so eye-opening to me. Like, it was huge. Like, absolutely. I was like, man, I'm so hard on these, on these musicians and these, and like the people that we look up to now. Like, think about it. Back then, we, we used to look up to people who had connections with the nation. Now we look up to people who, I'm not going to like name a bunch of people, but how much time did these guys have in nature? Did they even have a childhood equated with nature? You know, someone like, like Will Smith or Justin Bieber, did they have a chance to have a childhood with nature? You know, and so they were inspired just by man-made things. All right, endless avenues of exploration. Natural spaces and materials stimulate the children's limitless imaginations and serve as the medium of inventiveness and creativity, observable in almost any group of children playing in a natural setting. Nature, which excites all the senses, remains the richest source of loose parts. You can't answer everything. You have unpredictable things that are going to happen. You can't guarantee if you step on that stick, it's not going to break. <laughs> it's big enough. It looks big enough. It should hold you. Nature is imperfectly perfect, filled with loose parts and possibilities, with mud and dust, nettles and sky, transistent hands on moments, and skinned knees. And the last one, which we know is inspiring. Um, Though taking children outdoors, they are expect, exposed to learning through various forms of inquiry. When our learning is linked to revisiting the living world outside our classrooms and brought back to the classroom for reconsideration, it empowers a cyclical and multi-sensory embodiment of learning. Creativity is ignited. Taking the time to linger with our learning creates the spaces where learning possibilities present themselves, possibilities that might have gone unnoticed if we hurried past things. The work we engage in requires commitment. It asks us to care deeply enough that we want to spend time with it. Our creativity is inspired. You have more questions when you're outside. You wonder how this works. You don't really wonder. You don't have to think. You just know that this equals this. If I push my finger here, I'll eventually kill that angry bird or something, whatever it may be. Um, the last one is spiritually. Nature presents the young with something so much greater than they are. It offers an environment where they can easily contemplate infinity and eternity. We cannot care for God if we do not care for his creation. The extent that we separate our children from creation is the extent to which we separate them from the creator, from God. That's pretty powerful. The purpose of creation really is to bring us closer to the creator. As a parent, you don't encourage children to experience nature because it's pretty, but because your children are exposed to something larger and longer standing than their immediate human existence.
The benefits of engaging children in direct experiences with honeybees, butterflies, and ladybugs, all significant plant partners, are numerous. Children develop science process skills, positive science attitudes, and scientific knowledge. In addition, these experiences provide children with opportunities to appreciate and develop a sense of wonder and respect for the natural world. And I think that wonder is the, is the starting point for falling in love with our Savior. Because it starts with that, like, whoa, he died on the cross for me? Whoa, he made this for me? You know, it starts with wonder. And if, when we lose our sense of wonder, I think we lose our sense of respect for God. Because it's just like us. He's just our friend, right? We've made God into just our friend, which is he is our friend. But we need to wonder at him. We need to just be amazed at him. He did that for me. He's doing that for me. You know, and nature helps to create that sense of wonder constantly that, that nothing else can do. Joy is found and lingering in the grassy fields. At the same time, you'll be caught up in a sense of wonder. I believe if we want children to take a stake in their learning by encouraging them to ask the questions and seek out answers, then we need to create spaces for that inquiry to unfold. We need to give the value to the time it takes to be in those places of wonder. In a time when our world is so fast-paced and product-oriented, we need to give value to the things that cause us to slow down and pause, to linger and reflect. I was... Um, teaching K2, and uh, we, I was going sledding as a church. Sometimes we went sledding. It was a big hill. And we were going down the hill, and one of my little, one of my little boys, he's in first grade at that time, he runs over to me, and he's like, Miss Boothby, Miss Boothby, I see God. I was like, what do you mean you see God? He's like, look, the moon, I see God. That is what we want, right? Nothing can replace that, where they just can't help but see God. And that is the aims of outdoor education. All right, so the next couple of classes, you'll hopefully start making connections of how we can do that, both in the garden and just in nature in general. Outdoor education spans the three domains of self, others, and the natural world. It seeks to teach students how to learn to overcome adversity, enhance personal and social development, develops a deeper relationship with nature, obtain outdoor survival skills, improve problem-solving skills, enhance teamwork, develop leadership skills, understand natural environments, and promote spirituality. So if you're having difficulty trying to prove that outdoor education is the way to go, give somebody this list and be like, this is what we will achieve by the end of my curriculum, okay? <laughs> so if any doubt, this is what I present to school boards, that this is going to be the goals and the objectives of using nature as my manipulators and hands-on. All right? You know those multiple intel intelligences? We won't go through all of them, but I think um, another one that could be added, an eighth one, is naturalist, intelligent, nature smart. Okay? This person has keen sensory cells, including sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. Readily uses heightened sensory skills to notice and categorize things from the outside natural world, likes to be outside or likes outside activities like gardening, nature walks, or field trips geared toward observing nature and natural phenomenon, easily notices patterns from their surroundings, likes differences, similarities, and anomalies, are interested in and care about animals or plants, and notice things in the environment others often miss. Think that's a good intelligence to have? Think it's a great intelligence to have. All right, so to end with, so through the creation, we are to become acquainted with the Creator. The book of nature is a great lesson book, which in connection with the scripture, we are to use in teaching others of his character and guiding lost sheep back to the fold of God. As the words of works of God are studied, the Holy Spirit flashes conviction into the mind. It is not the conviction that logical reasoning produces, but unless the mind has become too dark to know God, the eye too dim to see him, the ear too dull to hear his voice, a deeper me is grasped, and the sublime spiritual truths of the written word are impressed on the heart. 
In these lessons direct from nature, there's a simplicity and purity that makes them of the highest value. All need the teaching to be derived from this source. In itself, the beauty of nature leads the soul away from sin and worldly attractions and towards purity, peace, and God. Too often the minds of students are occupied with men's theories and speculations, falsely called science and philosophy. They need to be brought into close contact with nature. Let them learn that creation and Christianity have one God. Let them be taught to see the harmony of the natural with the spiritual. Let everything which their eyes see or their hands handle be made a lesson in character building. Thus the mental powers will be strengthened, the character developed, and the whole life ennobled. This is the last thing, the sign above Albert Einstein's um, office. Not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.